being crushed is just really painful. It's really, really painful. And if you feel like you're at the end of yourself, you probably are. Um, but a burden shared is a burden lightened. So just keep asking, just keep asking. Don't whatever you do, do not suffer alone. If the only ounce of courage that you put forth is to be vulnerable with another human being, do that. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I'm a clinician, military spouse, an advocate, and my co-host for this season is Sarah Foster, a first responder spouse, mom, and homesteader. Join us for season seven, where we invite you into honest conversation about life, family, and home. So grab that cup of coffee or head out for a walk. It's time to reconnect with what matters most. Through all the storms and by your side Through days of warmth and by your side Like the stars and the moon and the nighttime sky And by your side Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is Corey Weathers. And we are in season seven, where we're talking about reconnecting with what really matters most in your life. And I am so thrilled to bring Mark and Caroline onto the podcast to um, share their story. I sat down with them at their house. I, uh, Matt and I actually served with them at Fort Stewart, developed this awesome relationship with them. In fact, when I went over to their house not too long ago, I saw pictures on the wall and it showed like some of their homecoming from deployments. And I was like, I took that picture. And so um, we were there with you guys at Fort Stewart, went through a deployment together, welcomed you guys home. And I haven't seen you for a really long time. And then when I see you again, you have four children now. I think you had two when we were together at Fort Stewart. So your family has grown. Um, and obviously a lot of life can happen in like military lifestyle in 10 years. And so we just spent, goodness, hours together at your table, catching up and um, just hearing kind of what, what's happened in the last 10 years for both of us. But I walked away that evening with you guys and just, I couldn't stop thinking about how powerful your story is for what it means to reconnect in your marriage, reconnect um, to what matters most, which is your family. And, and so I invited you guys to come on the podcast and just share your story. So thrilled to have you guys here. Um, you're good friends and just incredible examples. I know for Matt and I, and so super excited to have you on. So welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. Thanks so much for having us, Corey. I, what what you're not mentioning is how you served us during that time. I just I have memories of that first deployment, and um, I had some serious crises happen within the first like two months of him leaving. And I just remember texting and calling you, and you came over a couple times and just really helped shepherd me through that. So that was. And you also gave an analogy for that first deployment that stuck with Mark and I um, like glue. And we've shared that with a lot of other couples, which was that uh, deployment and especially a nine month deployment is a lot like a pregnancy where the first trimester is really hard <laughs> for a lot of reasons. And then you hit this like middle section that actually feels pretty OK. Um, you hit your stride, you figure it out. 
And then there's the last part that also really sucks because you just want it to be over and it's not quite over yet. Um, and then actually there's the fourth trimester, which, um, was just, it was really, really helpful. It was a helpful analogy for the whole time. Um, but especially for the homecoming, it was really helpful to just know up front that things weren't going to be like back to perfect and normal right away. Um, I think if I hadn't known that it would have, it would have felt a lot more detrimental than it actually was. Um, so we've shared that so many different times, but that was from you and it was, it was incredibly helpful. So um, so I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you think that my story is worth sharing and I'm honored to share it. And I'm just, I'm honored to be seen by you. And I was so glad we got to reconnect a couple months ago. So you know, it's, you never know how powerful it is to circle back around and, um, reconnect with people that you haven't seen for years, but yet you shared like this amazing part of your journey and part of your story together. And so it, you know, especially if it was during a time of suffering, like a deployment or, or something like that, where you really were pushed to your limits and, um, they're just formative times. And so it's almost like if you don't reconnect, you're kind of like stuck in time back 10 years ago for us, you know, it's so important for us to get back together. And, um, it was just awesome. So I'm so glad to have you guys here and thank you for your kind words on that. Um, going into last year's deployment for me, I, I thought on that same metaphor of like, okay, this is, this is like a pregnancy. This is what it's going to be. And, boy, did I um, need that metaphor myself this last deployment. So um, so I think where I'd love to start with you guys, I, I really wanted to share or have you guys share like what had happened after that time at Fort Stewart and kind of how, what your life um, was like and how it's just kind of snowballed over time into having two more children. And, but I, I remember Matt and I were just like super impressed and like challenged by the both of you guys. You're like CrossFit athletes. <laughs> I don't know if you're still doing that, but at the time we were like, man, we got to catch up with Caroline and Mark because which nobody, I don't know if anybody can catch up to you guys, but, um, you just really challenged us both on what it means to, for self-care and personal goals and, and watching you guys as a couple take care of yourselves individually and together. But I would say in the last five years, you shared with me at the table that night, just how stressful things got in the last five years. So would you mind just kind of giving a recap, maybe kind of share how long you guys have been in the military? Um, and then kind of how long you guys have been at Bragg. You don't necessarily have to share, Mark, you know, what you do um, or any details that you can't share, but just kind of share with everybody kind of your military story and specifically how things got challenging for you in the last five years or so. Yeah, I guess I can, I can go. Um, so, so I guess about, about seven years ago, we, we, made a turn and joined special operations and that moved us to Fort Bragg. And, um, I always felt like it was a, a kind of an itch I had to scratch. And so, um, I, I decided I would go to a selection and then we, I ended up getting picked up and we came to, we came to Fort Bragg and, um, I loved the culture because it was, it was smaller. Um, it seemed like something I, I fit into easier than, than I did at my last unit. And, um, yeah, I think, I think just getting noticed was a big deal. Um, sort of for the first time, you know, I came from the infantry and, and it's kind of like a get back in line mentality where this independent, uh, this, these types of units, independent thinking and having a, 
having a positive attitude really, really make a big difference. And so, um, so we came here about seven years ago and, um, um, I've been in this unit now for about six years and I've had four, four deployments, um, varying in length from four to six months. And, um, each one has been challenging in its own way. Each one has been unique. I think, um, I'm no stranger to deployments and my, neither are my, our kids. Mm-hmm. They know, uh, we, we, we tell our three-year-old it's a, it's a big bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Um, and that becomes just the language of the house is saying frequently mm-hmm. goodbye to each other. And so that's always hard. Um, and since I'm, I've been gone so much, I, I spend, I spend a lot of time alone or just away from, you know, Carolyn and the kids. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, my heart is just most open open to change when I'm, when I'm alone for, for a long time. And so, um, mm-hmm. even though each time has been different, um, uh, each, each deployment brings its own unique growth opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Mark, yeah. when you say open, that your heart is more open for change when you are alone, say during those deployments or perhaps trainings too, what do you mean by your heart is more open to change? When you look back on those deployments or those times of separation, were you more thoughtful, introspective, working on something? What does that mean that your heart was more open? I mean, it's a, it, I think that's a good question. To be honest, um, life is a lot simpler when you're deployed. Mm-hmm. You have one mission that you're, that you're working on. Um, you, you don't have to take kids to soccer and gymnastics and come home and fix a sink and then make sure the kids get to bed on time and, you know, do homework and connect with your wife and make sure all those needs are met in the yard and all these things. All you have is, is, um, is your mission. And so you can kind of, you can focus on that. And then you have, you have another 12 hours or 16 hours during the day where you can, you have the brain space to think about other things. And, um, one thing actually, uh, Matt said before, before we deployed for our first time in Afghanistan is mm-hmm. you can come back better or you can come back worse. Mm. And, um, I think I, I took that to heart at that time. I wanted to develop myself. And so I just wanted to be open, um, to the Lord speaking to, to me in these different ways, but mostly it's about the simplicity of, of, of priorities. Um, as far as like, you know, what it means to have a heart that's more open. It's just being simple. I love that because I, I think you're right. I think everybody has a choice during those deployments or those times, a part of what you do at that time. And so, I imagine I've not been deployed for a really long time, but I, I imagine, you know, it's, it's easy for some to make a choice to just kind of stay the same or waste those hours or take them for granted. Um, when really we try to talk about during deployment, like how, how can we stay connected? How can we stay growing? But more importantly, how do we stay growing together? Because, um, I think both, both, sides during a deployment are going through something significant and different and challenging in their own ways. And so regardless of whether or not we want to grow or not, we're definitely going to change even if we don't realize it. And so if we're not careful, I think we can um, not change or not grow together. And so I would love to go to you, Caroline, because he said that you guys switched over to special operations about six, seven years ago. So what was that switch like for you? So going into it, we, you know, we were kind of fresh out of that nine month deployment. 
it. And I was thinking like, I don't really know how that's going to work because it took so long to get like in our relationship to get sort of back to baseline good again after that deployment. And so in my mind, I was thinking like, I don't know how that's going to work, but maybe I, I took it with a grain of salt because I had had other experiences in the army where the rumor mill was saying one thing and reality was, was very different. Um, it ended up not being that consistent, although, uh, between trainings, um, TDYs and deployments, he, he was gone a lot and it wasn't field trainings, but it would be like, you know, flying out to various places for different lengths of time with, with not a whole lot of notice, maybe a a week or a couple weeks notice. So that was hard. Um, and then it kind of just got, I think when we just had the two kids, I fell into a, a rhythm. So I had my coping mechanisms. I had my, um, my, my rhythms when he would leave before he would leave while he was gone. And then after he came back and that was sustainable until we had a third baby and that, uh, we had Roman in early 2019. And that was actually in the middle of a, of a four month deployment. And, um, th- once that deployment ended, uh, I was feeling like, okay, you know, eventually I'll get back on my feet and I'll be able to have those same coping mechanisms again. And basically that, that just was not the case, um, for a variety of reasons, 2020 happened after that, which actually for us was a huge respite because that was the first calendar year that he'd actually been home for the entire year, Mm. uh, whole army career. And so it felt like a break but I got pregnant with Ben that year. And then, um, I did not feel like when things picked back up, I did not feel like I was rejuvenated and ready for another deployment. And then, you know, Ben was born in January and then he had another deployment on the books for like April timeframe. Um, and before that, had this five week training mission creep up out of nowhere. So, and couldn't get out of it. And so we had Ben and I think when Ben was about five weeks old, he left for five weeks. Mm -hmm. So gone for five weeks, he was home for four and then he still had this four month deployment. And so between the five week training mission and that four month deployment, it just totally did me in. I wasn't ready for it. I, there was, all of the coping mechanisms that I had had in place that were semi-successful prior to basically were just not working. They just were not cutting it. And I had no other, no other options. Like I just felt completely, completely at the end of myself. Do you mind just sharing really quick? What were those coping skills that you had been implementing before then? Yeah. So, um, I've always been a member of a CrossFit gym, um, that has fulfilled several things that have been really helpful for me. First of all, it's physical movement activity, which I, I feel like I just need that. But also I I know this about myself now. I didn't fully understand it then, but, um, I'm very, very extroverted. And so getting, when I'm a stay at home mom, there's, I'm around the kids a lot, but I'm not like around other people a lot. So when I go to a CrossFit class and there's, you know, 20 people in the class, it sort of fulfills this desire for me to interact with people. So I've always had, um, CrossFit gym membership and I've always 
been going very consistently. And then I've always been a member at a church, um, typically uh, where there's some type of Bible study, community group, things going on that I can participate in. So I was still doing those things, but with Ben being a newborn, Roman being two, and then having a a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old out of school for the summer, I felt like those things just weren't cutting it. Um, Plus there was this major sleep issue because Ben was a newborn. I wasn't getting good quality sleep at night. And then I wasn't guaranteed to be able to get good sleep during the day either because of my two-year-old. So I ended up, that was, I think what really did me in the first five weeks and the first two weeks of his deployment, his actual TDY deployment. Um, because I couldn't, I just, I felt so trapped. I felt so trapped by the needs of these little kids, um, that I didn't know what to do. And I was, I was asking for help. I had called my mother. Um, she decided not to come for various reasons. She told me that she couldn't come. Um, I didn't have anyone else in my family that could drop everything and come down. Um, and I didn't have their Mark's parents were not like the in-laws were not available for various reasons. Um, and so it, it felt like there was nobody. (laughs) It felt like there was nobody. I reached out to my church. I wasn't quiet about it. I mean, I was trying as best as I could to tell people, uh, that I was really struggling. Um, and, you know, the ladies at our church, God bless them. It's a really small church, but like, they just, they're, what I really needed was somebody who could come and live in with me for some amount of time to help me just figure things out. Like I needed help with dishes. I needed help being able to do, um, get my, like my mind together in order to problem solve for how I was going to survive the next four months. So, um, I think the, the one, a couple of things I want to say before moving on, I think it's really helpful for people to hear, uh, like specifically how I was feeling <laughs> and yeah. how that I was really crazy and, and very unwell. Yeah. Um, I would love for you to share that because when you're, you're looking back now and saying, I really was hitting a limit, but I would love for you to describe like, what was it like? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? How did you know that you were hitting a limit so that you knew to ask for help? Because I think a lot of people, especially spouses would push through that and just try to, you know, I I don't know. I think there's a variety of responses. I think some people would push through it and get themselves into an even more detrimental space. I think that, um, some people might, I guess, would really just implode or explode, really, I guess. And so why don't you just take a moment and describe that? Yeah. So the five-week training mission, I was already having trouble sleeping and was have a feeling a, a high degree of anxiety from feeling trapped with the needs of these two really little kids. And I was very much in denial. I kept Literally, I remember thinking, well, by the time Mark leaves for this deployment, Ben will be a little bit older. He'll be sleeping a little bit better. And so it really wasn't until the first two weeks of his four-month deployment that I totally went down the drain. And what that looked like was 
I couldn't sleep. Um, it felt like my adrenaline, it felt like adrenaline was just being dumped into my system 24 seven. Um, so I couldn't shut off at night and go to sleep or during the day for naps. And I felt this like overwhelming sense of grief. I just, I was crying pretty much all the time, kind of uncontrollably. There were times where I was like hunched over because I just, I couldn't even stand up. I was crying so hard. Um, it was really hard to eat. I had this sensation of like feeling sick all the time, like feeling nauseous. Um, and I know now that that was adrenaline. So for two weeks, I was sleeping about five hours a night, um, going to the gym in the mornings. And then just, that was the only thing I felt like I could do. Cause I was trying to tire my body out so that I could sleep. Um, and then towards the end of that two weeks, what it started to turn into was like, I am asking for help. I'm not getting the help I need. The people around me just aren't taking me seriously. I cannot do this for four months. Uh, maybe if I, maybe if I, maybe if I slip my wrists out in the backyard, one of my neighbors will see me and, you know, get help for me because I just feel like nobody's taking That's me seriously. That's a huge thought. Mm-hmm. Were yeah. you surprising yourself by having thoughts like that? Um, yeah, yeah, a, a little bit, but maybe not in the way that you'd think it felt like more of a, um, like a, like a last resort <laughs> and it wasn't something that I wanted to do it because I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was having postpartum depression uh, the way that I've had it in the past, I wasn't feeling angry towards my kids. I wasn't feeling like I just wanted them to go away. I felt actually very soft and, and loving towards Ben, especially, but I just, I just felt so terrible Mm -hmm. and I couldn't make it stop. And I didn't feel like people were taking me seriously. I didn't know how to get the help I needed, even though I was asking and asking and asking. Um, and so those thoughts when they would, when, when they would appear were just like, I just don't know what the hell else to do, you know? And is it like a, what, what else would it take? Like, do I have to do this in order to get someone's attention? Right. Right. And I, and I had had, you know, I, I really like, I felt crazy. (laughs) I felt crazy because I I knew I wasn't sleeping. I was crying uncontrollably, but I was also having rational conversations. Like I was seeing a counselor at the time. And I, I remember having several conversations with her telling her like how crazy I was feeling. And one of the questions I asked her was like, at, at what point do I go check myself into the inpatient ward at Womack? Like, because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm really not well, like I can't sleep. I'm worried that my brain is actually going to be permanently damaged from this amount of like adrenaline dumping and not sleeping. And she was like, uh, well, 
basically, like if you're asking that question, it, it's time for you to go to the ER. <laughs> so, so I, so I did. And this is where, you know, the, the only reason I, I just, I know that the Lord was just looking out for me. I, he gave, he gave the provision that I needed to survive that season because Mark's aunt, um, who lives in Cincinnati, I called her on the phone and, um, this was the day that I went into the ER. It's such a, it's such a pain. I had to find childcare so that I could take my crazy self to the ER. I, I was in there with a it just, it takes so much work for somebody who's already feeling totally trapped in their circumstances to make a change like that. But somehow I did it and I called her on the phone and I said, can, I, can I, I pause before you talk about your aunt just for a second? I, I just want to summarize something that you're saying because oftentimes, and I'm, I'm also to blame for this is that sometimes when we say reach out for help, um, or self-care. Like, I just want to recap that you were physically taking care of yourself. You were going to the gym. You were um, seeing a therapist. Like, you were um, doing a lot of the self-care things that we talk about all the time. And so uh -huh. what I hear you saying is that you were, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but almost drowning in the need for practical support. Uh -huh. And this is something that when I worked with the USO um, this past year and we did some research on what's what are the current needs and trends of military families right now, those that had small children, especially after going through COVID, it was an overwhelming ask for just practical support. Like, can I, can I take a nap? Can uh -huh. I have a sandwich that I don't have to make? Like, please just, or uh -huh. childcare, like marriage retreats are great, but really I just need to sleep. Right. And it was this overwhelming need, like you're describing, like I can go and do all, or maybe I can't even access the self-care things that I need, because like you said, I've got to find childcare to do it. So I have to manage my own access for practical support in order to care for myself. So how am I supposed to just do these things for self-care? And that's yeah. where the, the huge need is right now. So I just want to point out that you were like checking the box on all the things that you knew to do or that everybody would tell you to do. And yet here you are um, with such a huge need for practical support that mental health wise, even the mental health care that you were accessing wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And I'm floored. I had not ever even thought of the fact that you would have to get childcare or find childcare to check yourself in. I mean, I'm sure something would happen. They would call Mexican and whatever, but I mean, there's also, I've always heard mixed messages of, especially during deployment, what happens if you are unavailable and your spouse is deployed and you don't have the right paperwork, what can happen with your kids? And so I'm not trying to scare anybody, but it's a reminder of what's your plan. I know. What is your plan? It's a total mess. Like it felt like a total mess. The whole, the whole thing felt like a mess. So well, what when I called in, I think she heard it in my voice that I was not okay. And I, I mean, I wasn't articulating to anybody that I felt suicidal because in my mind, I didn't feel suicidal. I just felt like I needed like intensely needed help. And I didn't know how to, to make people understand the level of which I needed help. And yeah. so I think she heard that in my voice and she basically dropped everything she was doing and she drove down the very next day. So she arrived the next day. So this was on a Friday. She arrived here on a Saturday. 
So can I so, just ask, Mark, were you tracking any of this up until this point? Was was Caroline sharing it with you? Yeah. So even even now, I just feel quite a bit of shame in my own body. You know, it's um, it's a lot. You know, it's just a lot. Um, you, you know, to to be to be in the in the circumstances I I, I was in, which was safe and and thriving and and you know all my circumstances were fine but to have my wife my wife uh back at Bragg sort of holding everything down and me unable to get home but there's a mixture of the inability but the I think the shameful part is that I wasn't willing mm-hmm. to come home because um I had had some conversations with um some of my leadership at the time which were not they were not productive, um, the conversations or the leadership. And, um, and, uh, I was told like, you, you can come home now, but you're just going to turn around in five months and have to do a, a six month, a six month or, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I was, I was literally told your wife doesn't have a DOD ID number. She, you do. Um, mm-hmm. so th- that's not my problem. That's your problem. And so even this, these conversations now, she's sharing the story. My heart is just like, it's, it's like, I can just feel it all in my body. And so, um, not that we haven't dealt, dealt with a lot of it. I mean, I've been in counseling myself for a number of years, but it's still, uh, it's still, a, an embodied experience. Um, but at the, at the time I was doing some, um, some, some, some story work on my own past. And, um, cause I've just made so many mistakes and I have so many undesirable behaviors, um, at home, whether it's anger or, um, frustrate, you know, just, just, just all kinds of different things. And, um, I was doing some, some work, uh, some story work based on the, the place we find ourselves and the Adam Young, which is a great podcast he's talking about right now on the place we find ourselves. I highly encourage it. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> We're all fans. I think together. Go ahead. I would, I would, I wrote it. I would write these stories and share them with Caroline. And she basically, I, I, I did, I had to stop because it would send her kind of spiraling. It was too emotionally mm-hmm. difficult for her to handle. She was already on the edge. And so, um, so the Lord, the Lord had me on my own journey there. And I have some, you know, some other men and some groups of friends that I was able to share it with. And so, um, I was continuing on, but it was really hard. Um, because, you know, we all make choices and this is where the bit of the shame comes in. And I, I made the choice to stay and finish out that deployment and place basically, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to think of it in these terms, but basically I'm, I was placing the mission before my family mm-hmm. because that's, that's essentially what the military asks you to do mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Um, and yeah, I think that's the reality of, of what, of what the military asks. And, you know, people think, thank me or thank us for our service. They thank military families for their service. Um, it's not just about like PTSD or, um, being wounded, but there's, Mm -hmm. there's so much that you give up when you have to say no to your family Mm -hmm. and yes to whatever it is, your, you know, your leadership or, you know, ultimately the, the government's asking you to do. And so, um, but even still, even though I can say all that and rationalize it, there's still like this, these areas in my own, you know, chest that are tight hearing the, the story. So, um, 
Well, I think that's also why it's really important to share your story because I thought there was so much courage in Caroline, not only you asking for help, but admitting that you were in a rough place and needing help and kind of hitting your limits. And I think, I think the spouse, probably both sides, but for the sake of this story, the spouse community tends to not want to share um, when they're not doing well because they don't want to distract their service member. At least that's what we're kind of told or taught, you know, is that you don't share how you're doing with your service members so as to distract them from the mission or because there's, and I even wrote in my book, right? Like that service members would say, like, if it's not, if it's something I'm powerless to do, like it may not be helpful to share it because I can't do anything from way over here, you know? And that's what the service members were saying. And so I think it, it takes a lot of courage and honesty. And when we talk about like a solid, healthy, authentic, transparent relationship in your marriage, and you're really struggling at this point, like why would we not share that with our spouse? It feels so um, incongruent and not authentic to share where you are when you actually really need that help. And so Mark, I appreciate you sharing your side because I know one of the fears is um, if I'm sharing that I'm not doing well, then my spouse is going to feel um, guilty or feel shame that their job is contributing to this or causing it. Or if they would just weren't gone, then it wouldn't be happening. And so it does feel like an unproductive conversation sometimes, I think, of like, how, what are we even going to do if I do share it? And so I think there's a lot of couples that don't have this open communication that you guys are having. So it's kind of like the choice to hold it all in on both sides and see what happens on the other side of a deployment or be authentic and then go, now what do we do, right? How yeah. do we feel all the things we need to feel and intend to each other honestly? I think, I think it goes, it goes both ways. You know, we can share the really difficult stuff and, or we could share the really, the really great stuff. But what we end up doing, I think what, what I've learned is I don't need to try to manage her feelings around my experiences. And so whether I'm having a great day because I, uh, you know, I, I got, was really productive or I got this, I got this thing done, or I had a, I had a great time with my friends, you know, or whatever. Um, or I'm having a really difficult time and this is really hard. I, it, it's good to practice just being transparent and not having an expectation that what I say is going to cause, you know, a different, you know, some sort of result, but just be, just be honest in your, um, in your, in your conversations. I think another thing I just want to mention is that, you know, in the military, we live in this world of compartmentalization where, where we can talk about some things, but we can't talk about other things. Um, I mean, even in this conversation, I'm, 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 I'm screening my own words appropriately, but I think that's really unhelpful in a marriage relationship. Mm-hmm. And so speaking in a compartmentalized way, it, it becomes second nature. Mm-hmm. And what happens is we, we sort of, we sort of cage our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so there's some parts that are showing, and then there's some parts that aren't, and we can get really comfortable with the, with the parts that are, that are showing. And we end up living this, like this compartmentalized life of never being fully known by our spouse and we use the training and the culture of the military to to accidentally create an unhealthy communication pattern in marriage and so it takes real practice to to get out of that and that I mean that doesn't mean you're talking like specific you know classified information with your spouse but what i mean is the the dynamic of compartmentalizing what you say can bleed its way into things that should be said Mm-hmm. Um, to one 
Which include like really hard conversations about, you know, your job is killing me, (laughs) you know, or, or whatever that is. So I, I learned, I learned a couple, I learned a lot from last summer. One of the things was about the nature of grief. Um, so after aunt Kelly came down, I, I was actually, the ER did not help me. It was Mm -hmm. shameful how they didn't, but I did actually get into my, uh, my PCM on, on Monday and aunt Kelly was here. So I didn't have to find childcare. And I actually did get on an antidepressant and a sleep aid that was safe for breastfeeding. And that kind of really helped even me out. I started sleeping a lot better immediately. And then the remainder of the deployment though, remained this very grief filled space where it did, it didn't feel like it was, you know, killing me. Like I didn't feel like I was going to commit suicide, but it was just a very high level of emotional pain for the rest of the time. And a lot of that was coming from, um, the fact that I never dealt with, uh, some family of origin things. My, my father left my mom when I was older and has his own family. Like there's a, there was a lot of pain, you know, there's a lot of like orphan pain, you know, that hadn't been dealt with. And so a lot of that came up. Do you mind, am I me asking, and if it's too personal, you don't have to share, but why do you think it was coming up then? Um, well, I think part of the reason is that I had been praying for a grief process over that for about the past, like two years prior, because I knew that I, I knew that I was dealing with some anxiety, um, patterns in my life that, that seemed pretty deeply rooted. And I knew that grief was going to be necessary if I was actually going to, um, be able to, to receive a, a lot of healing, um, instead of just, um, symptom management, which isn't what I wanted to do long-term. And so I knew that there was a key to, to grief, that grief was a key to healing. And so I had been praying for that. Um, and it just hadn't, happened. It just hadn't come up. I felt like there was so much buried so deep that I couldn't, I couldn't really get that stuff out. It, it needed, um, it it just needed to be the Lord. And then your mom didn't come down. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when I felt at my lowest and my mom said, no, that Mm -hmm. was a huge abandonment there. Yeah. Really in a big way, in a big way. Um, so anyways, the, the, the remainder of that four months ended up being the space of just, just a high level of emotional sensitivity and pain. And what I learned about being in that place was that even though I was experiencing a lot of emotional pain, I could still experience joy on his behalf. Like he was in this, you know, he was on his own journey. He was in this place that was just super beautiful. And, um, I could, I could be present with feelings of being left behind feelings of resentment. I could express them to him, but I could still appreciate and like interact with him around things that he was feeling that were good experience experiences he was having that were good. And I felt like actually, you know, we talked a lot. I felt like he was able to do the same for me. It was like, 
I felt like we were kind of able to hold each other's hearts and holding the other person's heart didn't in any way negate my own, my own emotions, my own struggles, my own, um, my own pain. And so that felt remarkably freeing and healthy. Um, it was one thing I was able to name during that deployment was how much resentment I feel like I have. Um, and then there, it was sort of a process of sort of praying about, okay, well, how, how do I deal with this? Like, how do I drain that lake? Cause I have no idea how to drain it. And there, you know, part of it was do less of the things that make me feel resentment <laughs> and more things that make me feel like, you know, I matter and like, uh, things that I enjoy doing make me feel full, but then also actually, having the conversations that I need to have with the people that I need to have them instead of just always avoiding conflict was a big part of it too. And so we were able to have a lot of those conversations because that was the only way we could communicate was through email and phone. Um, and so a lot of that stuff, we were able to get a lot of it out. I, I was able to get a lot of it out on the table and I felt like he was actually in an emotionally mature place to be able to receive it and not just cower or like, um, totally not know what to do with that. You know, that previously shutting down. Yeah. Previously that had not been the case in our marriage. So this, this marked a, um, a turning point where I actually did feel like we were, we were able to have deep conversations. We were able to like emotionally connect via the telephone and email in a way that that was, it, it was, it was really beautiful, even though it was very painful. Well, and Mark, I would like to ask you here in just a second, maybe to describe how you made that shift or what was kind of the internal work that you did that helped you make that shift where you could hear it and not shut down. Um, but when you were talking and describing that Caroline, um, I believe you guys are Brene Brown fans, um, as well, but, um, it reminds me of what she says about you can't numb one emotion without numbing them all. And so when you talk about like, I needed to like feel the weight of the resentment and the grief and process that and move through it instead of pushing it down, it sounds like you feeling and, and going through that and like embracing it and learning from it also allowed you to also experience the joy instead of pushing it down, ignoring it, and then still hoping you could experience joy. Would you say that's true? Yeah, Totally. Totally. I think that's a really great example. Um, we often think that if we step into grief and we start, you know, I think this lifestyle gives us lots of opportunities to be triggered in our own stories and our own issues and our childhood and the things that we need to address and process and grow through if we would just take the opportunity to do it. But I think it's scary to step into all that. There wasn't a whole lot of joy in that season, but it felt like a down payment for mm -hmm. an abundance of joy long-term. That's really what it felt like for me. Um, Mark, tell me what shifted in you during that time when you say before you might've shut down, but now you are more open and able to kind of hear and process that with her. Because really, again, this is going back to the fact that you guys went through this very difficult time and we're kind of faced with, yes, for a long time, maybe we kind of accidentally put the mission first, put the military first, but this is 
what I'm hearing is that this is during a time when you guys are kind of reconnecting and redefining what it means to be a couple in the military, despite even being apart during that time. How do you reclaim your relationship in a new way or rescript it maybe? So you started doing, it sounds like some things very differently, just like Caroline was doing some things very differently. Yeah, I, um, there wasn't one pivot point where I was, I shut down and then all of a sudden I wouldn't shut down. I think it was much more like a, maybe, maybe incremental because even now, you know, Caroline tells me that you're so different or, you know, you're much more open, but I, I don't necessarily feel like that, but um, I do notice like my language has changed and um, I think I'm just more patient with myself and with, mm-hmm. with, with others. But at the time um, of that deployment, I was writing well between work and personal thing, personal time, I was probably writing about a thousand words a day. Um, and, but for, but personally, I think I was probably writing somewhere around 500 because I was doing my own story work you know, Caroline wanted me to write her an email every day. And that, that became, that, that sometimes was a chore, but she really appreciated it. He was so sweet. He, he wrote me an email every single night. And that was just a, that was a way that I could feel cared for and receive Mm -hmm. that from and with the distance. So he, he was so sweet because he did that for me. He totally did. So I was doing a lot of writing and I was also in like a spiritual leadership seminar, um, with, with a bunch of other people about 13 others. And we went through these four books and one of the books, well, they were all, I thought they all looked pretty cheesy, honestly. Um, but one of the books ended up, well, they all ended up being really, really good. But one of them in particular called leading on empty by Wayne Cordiero. Um, I was reading that and he talks about his own pastoral ministry and how he ended up being burnt out. And, um, he talks about the brain chemistry and how his body's reacting and, his emotional side and his relationships and all these things are just falling apart because he's burnt out. And uh, I was reading it with, with, you know, with Caroline in the forefront of my mind. And I remember writing her an email saying, you're obviously suffering from burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, just running, just, you know, just running on adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big, that was a big shifting point was, um, was reading that book. And I, I remember tallying up the amount of nights I'd spent away from home so at the time I had been in the, the army 10 years, which is 120 months. And, um, I, I tallied everything up and I had been gone 50 months, um, at the time, which is over, um, over four years, obviously. And we had a baby at home that I had spent just a couple of weeks with. And so, um, you know, I was, I wanted to be a present dad, but I, I had to be gone. And that was just, that was sort of the opening that pain opening that, that a lot of ministry flowed through. Um, and I think one other paradigm that changed was in that book, leading on empty. Um, uh, he, he talks about in one of the final chapters about, uh, leading out of his marriage Mm -hmm. and, uh, a, a really good metaphor, um, that I learned is that normally how, how he led in ministry and how, how I do it as a soldier is you make sure your wife is, good because that's the good that's the good holy thing to do that's the christian thing to do that's the even that's the soldier thing to do make sure your family's good so that you can go over to a different place and do do the work of the ministry do the leadership do the mission um but the paradigm that he that he presents is that um you should be pouring into your wife in this in this cup of marriage 
and the overflow of that of that marital relationship become is your ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I applied that directly to this is your this is this becomes um, the the result of your of your work in the army or 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 in the military, and so it's not just prioritizing a so that B can happen. It's actually, it's actually the overflow from a that flows on to B. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that, that paradigm shift was, was really helpful. And it's not, I'm not, I wasn't viewing our marriage as like utilitarian. I just want to improve the relationship so that I can be better at my job. But, um, I wasn't trying to do that, but just, uh, that, that, that was just a helpful illustration for me of not, not prioritizing one for the other, but, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm probably rambling at this point. No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, kind of share, Mark, what it was like for you to come home. Um, I think, if I remember right, I think there were some adjustments that you guys made or maybe that you continued to make once you got home to kind of turn some things around. I know you, you described how you came home and took care, took care of Caroline to help her kind of get to a much better place. And so do you want to share what that was like for you to come home and any changes you guys made as a couple to kind of get your individual health, but also your marriage um, health back to a good place? Yeah. So I can, I can start. I mean, before one of the benefits of being gone is you have a lot of time, like I said earlier, but I spent a lot of time creating like an operational design of how, what it would look like to come home. I had different phases. People can't uh, see that Caroline is smiling right now. I just want to say. The, uh, the, but the first, the triage, I knew that she needed to sleep. That was the pri- number one yeah. priority. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I had that, I had that in the forefront of my mind is the things that I had to do up front and, and immediately when I got home, um, just being practically, you know, hands-on like dishes and, mm-hmm. and, um, letting her sleep in in the mornings or, um, taking the, you know, all the kids out to a park or something where it was a really big deal, but then transition. And, and then we wanted to do the, the sort of the short-term things next. And so I wanted to get into, a um, a better rhythm at work of, of dialing back the, the op tempo. And so I talked to my supervisors about, um, about coming on to a different staff position or what, what could be done to, to just help me take a knee. Um, like immediately, like the first day back. He did that. Yeah, I went to talk to my first sergeant the the very my the very first day back, and he was unaware of a lot of the things that were going on behind the scenes. They had people had heard some rumors, you know, people people talk, um, but it was the first time sort of hearing it from the horse's mouth about um, what the truth of the matter was. And um, so that was the short term: is change the op tempo at work, and then long term: how do we set how do we set conditions so that. Um, our marriage is, is that cup that gets poured into Mm -hmm. and how, how do we do things for the longer term? Um, because I do, I do like my job. Um, Mm -hmm. I do like the military. Um, and so we didn't feel like we were getting called out and we needed to come home and get out of the army and immediately begin to, you know, to process, you know, start out processing. Um, but, uh, rather how can we, how can we strike a balance between, um, what's healthy you know, what are healthy boundaries at, at work? Um, so that was the, that was the, that was the plan was the, the triage, the short term and, and the long term. So do you, you know, I'm, I imagine people are listening right now and going boundaries at work. Like how do you even set boundaries at work? Because I think we're also sometimes taught that we can't or that we shouldn't. Um, I, I know I'm talking with people all the time of boundaries 
can happen in you know any work setting and just because we're in the military or just because we work in a hierarchy of rank structure and all of that doesn't mean that we don't have personal space personal boundaries um and the ability to it's kind of go it's like going back to the intelligence example that you were saying like i, I hear for a lot from special operations all the time of like we're not having conversations because i have clearance issues and so you have couples that aren't talking at all and what you said earlier was you, know, you actually can communicate you actually can talk about a lot more um, it doesn't have to be classified information to share what's going on in your heart and really invest in your relationship. And I think the same is true when we talk about boundaries at work, that sometimes it's easy for us to go, we just can't, or we you know, can't say no, or you can't ask for help even in your job situation. So what would you say to those that are listening right now that, that are going, how do you do that? Like, what is it? I'm sure it, everybody, whether you're a first responder, special operations or conventional it's all different, right? And leadership is always different. But what would you say to encourage someone right now that maybe is in the same situation saying, I would really love to invest in my family a little bit more. And there's some um, work-life balance that's kind of really in a, in a destructive place right now. Well, at the, at the highest levels in special operations, they realize we've been at war for over 20 years. And everyone is burnt out. Mm -hmm. Every, 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 every special operator is burnt out. Every spouse is burnt out. Mm -hmm. Every, every child is used to dad or mom being gone all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, the, the first thing I would say is, is being, just being honest mm -hmm. with yourself that, Hey, it, this is not, this is not working. Um, mm -hmm it's time for a change because the, there's going to be more mission tomorrow, whether I'm in the army or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, I think in humility, realizing that you really don't matter that much, um, is really helpful. Uh, and being, being part of, part of, uh, the honesty is being vulnerable with, with your leadership and letting them, letting them know kind of exactly what's going on. And, and honestly, if you don't have like a history of, of malingering, you know, if you don't have a history of making excuses, um, people are really receptive and they, they actually want to help. If you say something like this thing is going on at home and my family needs to rest, can you help me like problem solve or help me think of a way to do that? What you're actually doing is kind of submitting your desires to, you know, to, to, to an authority in a, in a, in a military context and in, in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so many times people will say, yes, mm -hmm. yes, let's, let's come up with a plan that works for you and get you back on your feet. Not so that you can get out the door, but because you're a member of this team for the long term. Mm -hmm. So, and it, it sounds like myth, it sounds a little bit like mythology. Um, but, but it's, people really do care about each other in the, in the, in these smaller units. Um, we really notice if you're not feeling well, notice if you're not there, we notice if you have a mood change, we can tell if something's going on at home and we, we, we really want you to be your healthiest just because it doesn't have anything to do with the mission, but it's just, it's just because, um, you're in this family. So yeah, that's what I would say is honesty and humility and use, use the proper, you know, the proper channels of authority in the, in the right way. 
When I would echo that for conventional and probably first responder as well. I think you're really appealing to the human side of the person in front of you and those in authority and, and they know what it's like to have or try to have a work-life balance. They know um, the stressors that you're going through. And so whenever you ask for help, I think, Mark, you gave great words that people ought to like rewind and write those words down. Um, I think most people, if they have a human heart, which they do, um, are more likely to hear that and want to help. And so um, I appreciate you giving that um, encouragement. So I know we're almost out of time. Um, I would love for you guys to share your heart on, um, you know, I know your your faith is very strong and at the core of who you guys are. And really it would be, I would regret you not having the opportunity to share how your faith has grown in the last few years. Um, and how that has helped you reconnect in your marriage and how it's helped you heal individually and together. Um, you really didn't, it doesn't sound like you had a whole lot of like uh, major issues between each other. It was kind of like a lot of just life issues and just kind of things that you were bringing, like Mark, you said earlier, just behaviors that you wanted to change and mature through. So it's not like you had like these huge hot topics, but just some changes that you wanted to make in your relationship. And I know your faith, especially in the last few years has played a huge part in that. So do you want to share a little bit how your faith has grown since then or through all of this? Um, and maybe a little bit of what you guys are doing now. Yeah, we, we're Christians, and so we we don't necessarily just just know that that we're we're sort of alone um, in the universe. Uh, we know that God is watching out for us, and He created us to be to be loved and to love Him and love one another. Having that having that perspective of 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 eternity weighing in the balance is is a is a big deal. Um, sort of not knowing where you fit into the grand scheme of the universe. Um, is a is a really good perspective to have. We've been leading a we've been leading a community group at our house, and we we wrote a family vision statement a couple of a couple of uh, months ago when when actually we came back from that deployment. Um, who is it that we are in the context of this of this world? Um, what sets us What sets us apart? Part of that family vision statement has sort of bled in uh, bled into our our community group um, vision and mission statement, which is. God first exists in community with himself and he, he loves, uh, he loves Jesus, but with that same intensity that he loves Jesus, he also loves us. But, but because of sin, we're unwilling or unable to receive that, that intensity and that magnitude of his love because of where we've been wounded or because of shame in our hearts. And so as we, as we grow in a relationship with the Lord and we grow in a relationship with Jesus, what that does is that, and we deal with our wounds that that opens up our hearts to to receive more, um, to receive love from others and from ourselves and from Him, and to give love to 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 one another. Um, because yeah, I think I think we all have just a limited, an unlimited capacity, but but our circumstances and sin and woundedness and shame that just it it limits that. And so um, so we're doing some story group stuff, a lot of testimony sharing, a lot of just, um, listening to people's, uh, stories and honoring their, honoring their experiences, whether they're, whether they're positive or negative or good or bad or difficult. Um, Mark, so can we, I ask you just real quick to explain what you mean by stories? Because I I've listened to, um, the, the Allender pie or the place we find ourselves podcast. And so I understand what story work means, but just maybe from a high level perspective, what does that mean to do story work? Oof. 
That's actually a really hard question. I think for me that it's best explained in a process. Um, so I lose my temper with my oldest son. And I'm thinking, why did I just do that? And so what, what I will try to do is I see that pattern of behavior. That wasn't the first time I lost my temper. Um, and not just write, not, not, not write a story about what exactly happened then, but what, what I like to do is, is, is remember back to a set of similar circumstances where I was in a, I was in, I was in that, a, a similar scenario as a child um, or as an adult and, and tie those, tie those circumstances to the behavior. Um, so, so it's not just, I got angry at my son because there was, because there, he was, he was, uh, you know, there was lots of noise and it was a stressful day and he was kicking the dog, but rather when I was a, when I was a child, this, this was done to me in a, in a, in a, in an abusive way. And so, um, so now I get to, I get to not just repeat that, but, but by the Lord's grace, I get to, I get to heal and redeem part of that story. I can actually go to my son afterward and apologize and say, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know. Um, I don't, I, I don't like it when I lose my temper. Um, I actually, I'm actually ashamed. And so I need, I would, I really need you, you know, to forgive me. And so a story is not, is not just um, a microcosm of what's happening in that moment, but it's a, it's a narrative thread of what's of, of, uh, of, of, of sort of tracing that, that core pain through your whole life. And it's not just for the sake of examining it, but it's to, it's to redeem um, what the enemy wants to destroy. So. So well yeah. said. So well said. And I know that's an example that a lot of people can relate to. So I interrupted you. You were talking about how you wrote this mission statement and how you were doing, you've been, you've continued to do story work, but you're also bringing that into the community small group that you guys are doing as well. So it sounds like you're inviting other people to also um, experience the same level of healing through story work as well. Yeah, we, we, um, we've been a part of, uh, of this church now for a few years and that we were at a previous one. And, um, I think a lot of times we stay in our heads in the, um, which, which just means we intellectualize the Bible and, and what we should and shouldn't do. And the Bible is not just a rule book. Um, uh, we really think it's, it's filled with, with good and holy boundaries, um, and what, and what God has best for his people. Um, and part of what we do at the, at the community group is just really try to embody what the Bible is saying. Um, because life is just really messy, right? Life is just really messy. Um, you can be, you can have a stressful day at work. You can have a mom that won't come and help you. You can have a disobedient or, um, a, just a difficult child. You can deal with the same issues that you've been dealing with for 20 years. Um, and that's just living out the gospel. That's just, that's just who we are. And we don't need to push that down or think it's, or think it's wrong. Those those behavior patterns are invitations for, for healing. Those, those, um, that anger that I talked about, that was like a, that was like a flare gun, uh, that, that the Lord was using to invite me into healing in that, in that store that, um, that pornography that you're dealing with, that's a flare gun that the Lord is inviting you into healing. It's not something you need to just run from, but you can begin to ask questions on why am I this way? Why do I continue to do these things I've done for for decades and, um, and allow yourself to be curious about what's going on in your heart. And, um, what you'll find is that 
is that Jesus really loves you and has loved you through that whole process and loves you now. And so, um, he's, he's such a good man, (laughs) but I just, I'm so, I'm really blessed. We're just, we, the Lord's been really good to us. Um, so before his deployment, the over the last summer, um, I had come across a resource called Emmanuel prayer. And I can't remember the name of the guy, uh, that does it, but he's got a bunch of free videos on YouTube about how to do it. It's the simplest thing. Um, but I had done a few, um, I'd had some space where I could be alone, uh, and specifically before his deployment, just got into a space where I just wanted to talk to Jesus for a while because I felt like I was really nervous about the deployment. I wasn't feeling good about it. I really didn't feel like I could do anything about it. Um, so I kind of went into it with that, uh, went into the deployment with that in the background, just like this might be a really big season. Like there might be some really big change and some really hard things, but I think the Lord wants to do something with it. And then, then the wheels just really fell off. And I, I, I mean, I, I, I hit my limits harder than I possibly could have known that I was going to hit them, um, really went crazy. But even when I was really crazy, you know, I didn't have time to read my Bible. I didn't have time to, to do any religious practice, nothing, but Jesus kept speaking to me so often. Um, I had images of him, like just being with me. I I remember feeling like he was standing next to me when I was doing the dishes again for the, you know, thousands time. And, and it, it was like, this is, this is what love feels like sometimes. Like I can't change the circumstance for you, but I'm willing to be with you in it. And I really enjoy being with you and I'm here. Like I'm, I'm just here with you. And so, um, I had a friend during that time. I shared that with her and she said, it was so sweet. She said, um, you know, if he could be here with you physically doing your dishes, he would be, Mm -hmm. you know, Yes, that is his heart. Like it is not his heart that I am suffering right now, but in my suffering, he's willing to be with me. And so there were so many words. There were, there were some dreams in that time of just like, okay, I I know that he's getting me through this. It's not the support that I want and that I feel like I need, but it is the support that I actually need to survive. And I really do feel like part of there, there was just so much of a down payment in that, in that high level of emotional pain where there is going to be long-term joy, but his heart was not to take the place of my husband. His heart was to, um, to get me through that time so that I could receive my husband back fully and, and have that support system back again for the remainder of, you know, moving through whatever grief I need to move through about my family or my mom, or whatever. And I just feel like that is so sweet. I, I want to mention too, another thing that you said when I first met you right before that nine month deployment, because Matt was also leaving for nine months. So we were 
doing it together for the first little bit. And you said, Jesus is such a, such a gracious man. When your husband has to step away, he steps right in and takes you by the elbow. And when your husband comes back again, he steps back away because that's, that's what a gentleman does. Yes. And that has been my experience every single deployment. This one just happened to be really extra hard, but every single one he's done that in a different way, in a way that I've needed for that season. And I just, I, there, I have so much trust in, in God now because of those types of experiences. Um, I know they weren't from me. Like, I know that I wasn't just coming up with that stuff. Some of them were really wild. It's crazy. Um, and I think I, he, he just has gotten me through so much. He's so kind. He's so honoring. He's so gentle and, and he's so good at doing the heart, the deep heart surgery, um, that needs to be done in order for, for my heart to be fully capable of receiving all of the love and all of the grace and all of the goodness that he wants to impart to me. So, um, so that, that's what got us through. I mean, really not a lot else. Aunt Kelly, Aunt Kelly saved my life. I mean, she's a believer. She really was physically the hands and feet of Jesus for me during that season. Um, she, it it was a miracle that she even had the capability to come down. He did not give me the grace that I wanted, but he gave me the grace that I needed to get through that season. And then when Mark came home, we were both very different people coming back together again in this, this really beautiful way where we could, I think, be intimate and vulnerable and, um, close, much closer than, than we'd ever been prior. It can be very frustrating when we want God to step in, or we want others to step in at our darkest moments, at our most difficult moments. And, and the, it's very tempting to embrace and adopt even more resentment and anger when we're not getting the help that we need. And what I do know about this life and especially about this lifestyle is that suffering produces character. He doesn't abandon us. And, um, he does walk alongside of us and it helps us develop the character that we need, helps us heal what we need to heal if we're willing to go through it and willing to allow that heart surgery to happen. And so, um, thank you guys for being so honest about that. And I, I just want to say, you know, I knew you 10 years ago, but when I sat at your table just a few weeks ago and heard this story and so much more, you guys are completely different people in the best way. Like, uh, Mark, if it's if it's any encouragement to you, the overflow of the hard work that you guys have done individually and as a couple is unbelievable. I mean, I was exhausted showing up to your house that night after um, a several day event, you know, of of pouring out to other people. But I left close to midnight feeling full and rejuvenated and challenged and convicted and alive and just thankful and grateful and also ministered to just because you shared your story. And like you said, it is out of the overflow of 
um, reconnecting with what really matters most, which goes back to what this whole season is about. Like it's very easy to be distracted by what's happening in the world, distracted with what's happening at work, um, tempted to put your best energy to where you feel most successful. And yet this is an example of what it means to kind of rebalance some things and relook and reprioritize and say, you know, my family needs to be well, my marriage needs to be well. And out of the overflow, I'll be a better employee, a, a better service member, a better um, spouse, a better parent. Um, so I 100% see the change that has evolved through both of you guys. And I just want to encourage you to keep doing that hard work. Um, I'm just going to encourage anybody listening. If there's grief that you need to go through, if there's help you need to ask for, if there is, if you need the courage to find the words to set appropriate boundaries, um, ask for the help, um, go to the right people, be honest with your family members. And if they can't help you, that's extremely painful to feel like you have no support whatsoever, but keep asking, keep, and if nothing else, go to your spouse for sure. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver podcast. We keep things pretty simple around here and don't include sponsors so that you can get our focused attention. So please subscribe, leave us a quick review or share it with other service families you know. If you would like more information or want to connect, you can find out more by going to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org for tons of content and resources and encouraging you to create more margin in your life as well.